Mama. Just killed a man with a butterfly. <laughs> Mama. Oh, we were trying to figure out what the hell he was saying. <laughs> and I thought he's saying, where's my food? <laughs> Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. And other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Grant. And you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. This is Mr. Hayes. And you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast, baby. What's happening, Australia? This is Tony M. from the New Power Generation. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Eden Nelson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black Podcast winners of the top 20 music podcasts that you must subscribe and listen to in 2018 as decided by Feedspot blog reader most recently. So thank you to them. It was a great surprise. We just got this email out of the blue saying, you know, you guys have made the top 20 list on the entire interweb, the internets. So uh, yeah, massive thank you to Feedspot for letting us know and, and all that kind of good stuff. But uh, yeah, we're up on this list with like Mark Marin and Song Exploder and all these sort of heavy hitters. So um, you know, we're not surprised by that at all, really. Uh, I think we should have been there all along. <laughs> look but out, Mark, look out. <laughs> so yeah, look out, Joe Rogan. We're coming after you. But um, in all seriousness, thank you. And we couldn't have done it without you guys. And of course, I'm referring to everyone who's listening to this at the moment. And uh, yeah, it's been a long journey. I'm going to keep this train rolling. Let's get into this. We're gathered here today around the virtual roundtable in the land down under. We've got Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, and Brisbane. All four of us are back again. <laughs> Let's do this thing we call the Peach and Black Podcast Show, and we're going to do an album review. But before we go into all that good stuff from left to right, I'm panning it, player. You can't fuck with that. <clears throat> Toe Jam. Making the best omelets in the world. And Captain. What are we even doing here? I don't know. <laughs> well, well, and I'm Rob S. In MC. the place to be the Peach and Black Podcast family is back. Wow. Okay, let's get straight into this. We're back together again, as I said, for another album review. And this is kind of crazy because... It's the first. It's the first real album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can call it an album. Well, that's what I was going to say. Aside from Purple Rain Deluxe, which was a re-release of an album with extra material... Uh, this is, you're right, this is the first full length, I guess you can call it that. I mean, technically, it is a full length release. It's quite short, <laughs> but we'll get into that. We'll get to that. But it's, you know, 35-ish minutes or whatever it is. Posthumous. First posthumous release, which is kind of crazy because it's, you know, towards the end of 2018 and that's two, almost two and a half years since Prince's Untimely Passing and we're getting the first release. I guess all that is behind us, all that history of how long it took to get here 
And now we're faced with this release, which is officially titled Prince Piano and a Microphone 1983. So before we get ahead of ourselves and go straight into our track by track, our world famous song by song analysis, let's talk a little bit about everything to do with the release, because I think it's worthwhile mentioning and there are different aspects to the release that we want to have a bit of a roundtable conversation about. So first things first, it came out on September 21st as a digital and physical release. You know, obviously in 2018, in this era, everything comes out digitally, which is good. But uh, it was also released physically on a CD. That was the one version. You got a CD release, came out on vinyl, on a vinyl release. And it also came out in a quote unquote deluxe edition, which was a vinyl and CD, and I believe exclusive to the deluxe edition, 12-page, big kind of vinyl record size booklet. So yeah, those are the three releases. And then on top of that, technically, there's a fourth release, which is you can purchase it digitally and or stream it digitally. So those are all of the different you know releases available. Any comments about any of that? Well, um, as as an Australian, <laughs> yeah. I went... I went to find the, um, you know, I thought I've bought everything else official that comes out, so i got to keep the trend going. Went down to my local JB Hi-Fi. They don't have the deluxe version in Australia. You have to order it, import it, whatever. So I just got the standard CD, which comes with a little three-page booklet, I guess, and it's got the CD, and uh, I think it's a good little package. It's pretty bare bones, just the basic CD version, though. Yeah, I don't have any incentive to go and get the vinyl deluxe version 180 gram vinyl? Come on! (laughs) Well, I'll say a little bit more about that later. But Okay, so ToeJam's got the CD version. Obviously, we've all been streaming it and digital. That's fairly easy to get. But has anyone here got the vinyl? Either the vinyl or the deluxe vinyl CD combo? No. I do not. No. Okay. I haven't got the vinyl and I'm known as a bit of the vinyl head, I guess, on the show. I'm umming and ahhing, thinking about getting the deluxe edition as a... You know, just as a hardcore Prince fan, I guess. I haven't pulled the trigger yet because I'm a bit hang on, hang on, hang on. Can I talk you out of it? Oh, this, this got the panel excited. Oh, Look at well, this. I just remember, remember one thing. I mean, this is sourced from a cassette tape. Mm. So vinyl, it's not going to sound any better on vinyl. It's not like, you know, the vinyl is coming from the, you know, the original 44 track, whatever, super remaster. Mm. Yep, it's 180 yes. gram of his. Correct. <laughs> yeah, I mean, tape... Technically speaking, not to go into audio nerd, but technically even cassette tape has probably got better sound quality than than vinyl or CD, technically. But anyway. Vinyl. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's got, it's got more dynamic range, if I understand the, the uh, maths behind it correctly. But anyway. I ain't never heard a cassette better than a record. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'm on the fence about it. I'm moving closer and closer to potentially purchasing it. I'm going to save up my, my dollars and my cents and pennies and all that kind of good stuff first because it is expensive. As a collector's item, what I would have bought is a cassette release. Ah, uh, yeah. That would have been cool, actually. A lot of people have been doing that. Like, The Darkness put out a live concert on cassette not that long ago. And I'm like, cassette, yes! <laughs> it's funny you mentioned cassette because on the official Prince store, the Prince Estate, you know, official online store, you can purchase a few cassettes of some of Prince's early albums. But this one obviously is not on there. So um, who knows? Obviously, you need a cassette player to play it. But I reckon most people just buy that just to have as a novelty. And in part, I'm thinking of getting this because it's a the deluxe version. And, and, you know, we may talk about its merits or lack thereof. But I do think that if you're going to splurge 
at least you are getting your money's worth. You're getting a CD, you're getting a vinyl, you're getting a booklet. And the actual packaging of the vinyl, from what I've seen, is really well done. Like you've got a full page is just handwritten lyrics, you know, a copy of the handwritten lyrics. Another page is Prince's face, like, and there's a print that it comes with that you could, you know, literally frame. So I think overall the deluxe package is it's pretty good. For aesthetically, it looks pretty nice. It's a bit rich, especially in Australia. It's only $80. What are you talking about? Yeah, but you see, I don't want to get bogged down in Australia because Australia's got, what, 24, 25 million people and the US has got like 350 or something Doesn't like that. Doesn't matter. So the reason I'm mentioning that is the price to us, we always get screwed on price. It doesn't yep. matter whether it's Prince or whether it's anyone else. So that's irrelevant. This is just my own opinion. The price is irrelevant because we always get screwed. But you can pick up the deluxe edition, I think, for about $40 US. So Yeah, yeah, in some places. You can get it straight from them. So that's $55 in Australian money. And that's with a terrible exchange rate between Australia and America. But Plus postage. Yeah, plus postage. But price-wise, I am mad at them. $40 for, for that package is is worth it um, in America, I think. And, you know, I think, what, 80% of the people that listen to the show are from that side of the world. So hello to all of you listening from there, from uh, US and Canada. But anyway. I want to talk about the artwork. Um, okay. So first thing I want to talk about is the image that they've used for the front cover. I mean, I reckon it's a great photo. I think it's a really cool, uh, you know, it's all black and white. It's prints in the early 80s. It's a photo that hasn't been, like, seen a million times and, you know, he's looking into that mirror and it just reminds you of that scene in Purple Rain. There's a few scenes in Purple Rain where he's sitting down on his yeah. own looking in the mirror. It's got that kind of um, interesting look to it. I mean, the one odd thing, it, I mean, it looks to me like his, um, his right shoulder has been kind of chopped. It's, it's hard to look at. It looks like it's been photoshopped and it's been chopped, like goes directly vertical. It's like something weird is going on with that shoulder. But it could just be that it's just a, a weird angle. But it kind of like that's sticks out to me when I see it. But it is a cool um, a cool photo other than that. And then you've got the inside photos, you know, other photos from the same session, so which is kind of cool. And you get some of the handwritten lyrics for 17 Days and um, Strange Relationship. This is just even in the uh, regular CD version I've got. So, like, it's, it's kind of cool. It's certainly got a historic kind of look about it. And that particular pose where he's looking in the, the mirror, is he used that in the One Night Alone box set. There's a photo like that as well. And there's another one. It escapes me now. Uh, the London one. Yeah, the London. 2007. Yeah. So, it's a sh that particular angle and shot, I think he really likes that shot. Because it's been done a number of times. So. And there's one from 93 in that Sacrifice of Victor book, him sitting at the mirror. Yes, that's the one. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yes. Okay. So we're speaking a fair bit about the different formats that it's been released in. What about the sound quality? Because clearly hardcore fans and those in the know would have been able to access this material potentially on the interwebs at some point, uh, certainly in bootleg circles in the 80s and 90s and, and uh, even if you go back that far. But it was always a pretty shoddy recording. How does this compare? Oh, you want me to answer this? <laughs> uh, sure, you uh, can go. <laughs> I don't think it's that much better. I reckon it's 20, 25% better sounding. Like there's yeah. many different versions that have been floating around from cassettes or whatever. I heard a copy which sounded pretty damn good a long time ago. And then I listened to this and I'm like, okay, it's a bit better, but it's not something I'm going to spend 80 bucks on. It's not 80 bucks better, but hmm. I'll clarify, I'm not buying it. <laughs> I'm not 
No, I'm not not buying it because I of have a version of it. That's not the reason. You'll get oh, to that at the end. Get into this yet? But yep. the, so you're saying 25. percent I reckon 20, maybe 30, okay. Let's go 30. Let's go 30. I, I was going to say it's at least 50 to 60 percent better. It's pretty clear. Oh. Like like Captain said, there there are there are a few different circulating bootlegs of varying quality. So mm. yeah, I mean, compared to the one that I had, this is a good 30 percent better. Yeah, 30 percent's about right. Okay, but that's a significant like that's, that's significantly better. I think the way I see it is is they cleaned it up to a degree, and I believe they could have cleaned it up more, but I think they leave all that hiss on there to make it sound like they've unearthed this treasure and, you know, yeah. this kind of like a mythical thing about it. Like, you know, they have to retain that kind of cassette sound in it to make mm-hmm. it. Well, that, that's a big point because it's not sourced from the original yes. master tapes. It's sourced from a cassette recording. It's from a C60 cassette. That's my yeah, understanding, yeah. yeah. It's not from the, the whatever master. Like if a master existed, it, it's been lost. And my understanding is this comes Correct. from some yes. sort of cassette. Yeah, that's a good question about if a master existed because I would assume that, that it's possible that a master never existed. If he's just plugged in this cassette recorder into the into the yeah, board in the basement in the basement then no one's recording this for professional release he's just recording this as a rehearsal yeah. as a practice session right so can i just interject something here i've also heard things of that cassette tape which was like on top of his piano whatever being rerouted down into his basement because his piano wasn't in his studio in his basement it was upstairs so he had to play upstairs but apparently there was Yes, there was a tape recorder there, but apparently that recorder was then connected to the the studio downstairs. Hmm. So there may be like two copies. I don't know. All right. So anyway, sound quality. Any more comments about sound quality? I've got a couple, but uh, handing it over to you guys. There's really only Captain. one part that I noticed that it's it's kind of it gets a bit crunchy, like gets a bit distorted. Um, and I forget. Yeah, yeah. There's one I part where there's some really like deep piano notes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a little bit crunchy, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, other than that, I, I think for what it is, it's pretty good, I think. Maybe Josh Welter mastered it, maybe. <laughs> okay, so sound quality, we've kind of spoken about it. I do think that it, from what, what you guys have said, it's certainly better than what people have had before. By how much, whether it's 20, 30, 50%, we've all got different views, but it's certainly the best version of this that we've ever heard. But it's not 100%. Yeah, but, it, you know, it's, it's the best that's come out as of you know, 2018. So um, it's certainly not worse. What about promotion of this? Because it's been getting fantastic reviews, not just by journalists, but also from people that have been, whether it's unboxing this, putting out their own reviews on YouTube, that sort of stuff. I mean, overall, if you collate all the metadata, this is pretty positive. Like it's good for his brand and his name as far as good reviews. Certainly hasn't been panned on release, but any comments from you guys? I, I think this release has gotten more promotion than the Purple Rain Deluxe from what I've seen. Yeah, it's and possible. It's like, from what I saw, there's hardly any promotion for Purple Rain. There might have been some, but I didn't see it. But this thing is everywhere. But let me get to these unboxing videos on YouTube, which I've seen <laughs> at least like six of them in the last few days. Okay. This is, this is something I have not seen for any Prince release before. These unboxing videos have been around for like iPhones and new stuff for years, many years on YouTube. Everyone gets a new thing and they open it up and they show it and they look at the pictures and everything. I've never seen it for a Prince release until this (laughs) album. And then there's like six of them all come out on the same day. 
you know, Thursday, Friday of release. Mm. And they all say very similar things. They all seem to have the CD copy, the vinyl version, the deluxe edition. They all say, you should definitely go and buy it. Actually, <laughs> make sure you get the deluxe version because that's the best one. <laughs> and they all say the same things. And none of them have a single negative thing to say about it, which I find just <laughs> unbelievable. So I can only assume this is part of Warner Brothers, some sort of street, you know, viral marketing thing. Even though these YouTube people aren't like big people, that'd be too obvious. They get some little guys. <laughs> I have yeah, zero it's... proof of this, but from I watched these a bunch of these videos that were all exactly the same. They all said the same things. They all bought the exact same three copies. They all said Everything positive about it, even though almost all of them, when they opened up the deluxe edition, the CD fell out. It's just, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I.e., so, promotion, the, the, the ways that things get promoted in 2018. That's basically what it sounds like. Yeah. Like, I have zero proof, but just from what I saw in the last few days. Well, you could be well, onto no, something because yeah. I've seen unboxings for other artists and maybe not to the same degree that your <laughs> some of the comments that you've made but certainly people have re received things before days before a release and then they kind of unbox it on the internet and hype it up yeah i mean so i can only guess warner brothers contacted a bunch of people and said look we'll send you all three copies of this thing do an unboxing put it out on the day of release bang some of them only got a few hundred. Some of them got a few thousand people watching. Hey, but still, back, that's street marketing. It is in 2018. That's what I'm getting at. Like back in the day, it was payola to get your stuff played on the radio, and now it's this sort of stuff. So you know, like, it I is could what be it totally is. wrong, but I'm st I'm sticking with it for now. So I don't care. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been. You're right, though. Regardless, it has been well promoted. But their opinion is skewed in a way because all they're commenting on is the packaging because they're wrapping the plastic off it. They haven't even listened to the CD. They're actually doing it in real time. But sure. let me add, a few of them had like the streaming thing going as they were doing their video. Like, yeah, okay. in the background over the top. But yeah, none of them really commented on, you know, no one did a track by track. They're only like six to about 12 minute videos and it's mostly unboxing. A couple of them commented on the content, but it was mostly about the packaging. But they all recommend it. They all say it's great. They all say you've got to go and buy it. Or maybe the, if it doesn't sell well, the estate, they won't release anymore. Captain, they don't, they don't need to do a track by track. That's what we're for, remember? Exactly. There you go. <laughs> That's all I can say about it. It just makes me angry. Bloody hell. <laughs> all right. Captain's rant is now done. So let's talk about the actual music on this release. It's nine tracks. Now, note, I'm not calling it nine songs, regardless of what anyone says. It's nine tracks because it's been tracked. This is, in effect, one continuous piece. Prince sits down at the piano and... It's a rehearsal. <laughs> there you go. It's a rehearsal chapter. There you have it. A chaptered rehearsal. So we have nine chapters. <laughs> we have nine chapters of the rehearsal. So nine pieces. Let's go straight into it. Piece number one of this rehearsal performance, let's call it, is 17 Days. Let the rain come down. Rain come down. Let the rain come down, down. Hey. Let's go around the circle. I'm going to hand this over to Captain. Tell us what you think about this particular opening track okay let's just start this album is hard to review track by track for a start because it is just like one long thing one long rehearsal 
broken up into different songs and different tracks. But also compared to any other album review we've done, where it's at 3.41, there's a guitar solo and, and then there's a little keyboard sound at, at this time. There's none of that. It's just, it's piano and a microphone with a voice in it. This is going to be a different review. Which is kind of why we haven't really reviewed the instrumental albums. Yeah. The same thing. Like I said at the start of the show, it's like, what are we doing here? Are we reviewing Prince's piano playing abilities in 1983? Because, yeah, there's no production, there's no guitar solos, there's no bells and whistles like we usually do. It is piano and a microphone, so you're not going to get guitar solos. <laughs> that's true. Guitar solos and a microphone. That's okay, Captain that's my first album. big whinge. There's no guitar solos on this piano album. That's the first big problem. <laughs> but on the plus side, there's no whammy bar, so... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At no point in this review will Captain say there is too much whammy bar on this piano I performance. I will not say that. <laughs> anyway, back to the song. 17 Days. Out of all the tracks on here, the songs performed in this rehearsal, this is one of the few tracks I'll probably listen to more than once or twice because it's actually a pretty full run-through of the majority of the song. Some of the others are very short and they're just a bit all over the place. This is a good run-through of the song. He's like doing all the sounds of this is how the bass goes and this is how the drum bit goes in this part, which is cool to hear. But yeah, it's hard. There's not a lot to say. The one thing that stood out to me was... At 341, he plays a bunch of weird piano chords around the lead line, which is a really cool thing. There's some weird chords in there. It stands out because it's just not normal. But the song itself, he sings it and he plays piano. <laughs> that's, that's, all I, that's all I can say. <laughs> because it's a full, what, six minutes, seven minutes long, whatever it is. It's not 90 seconds, you know. Some of the tracks on this album I probably won't listen to again. But this one I can listen to because it's a... Good run through with the song. So, the end. Okay. The end. Pick up the baton, Toe Jam. What do you think of this performance? Um, ah. It's a... V- <laughs> um, oh, oh. Okay. Mama. I'll start with some of the obvious things that Captain said. This is one of the few songs that is the full song run through. I like the bit at the beginning where at one point he sings the first bit and then he says, oh, turn the voice down a bit. So, someone's obviously there with him. Obviously, a sound person... Uh, who knows who it is? Whoever it is that's working the deck. I think it's Don Batts. Okay. Basically, in the song, he's doing the left hand, the bass line, and the right hand are playing those quaver chords and just the occasional little solo noodly bits with his right hand. So when I heard this, my first thought was, okay, where does this fit into the chronology of the song 17 Days? Because I was looking it up, and it turns out that there was a version recorded, which was probably for the Apollonia 6 album. Um, with Brenda on vocals. And that yeah. probably, I imagine, was a band version, so to speak, you know, with drums and bass and guitar and this kind of thing. Then we obviously know about the Purple Rain B-side release, which is a Prince and the Revolution song with Prince obviously on the vocal. Um, so I, I wonder where this... Now, all of this is around late 83, early 84, and I really want to know where this fits into the chronology. Is this the earliest version of 17 Days we've ever heard? Is this between the two properly produced versions, or is this after both of them? And I'm not quite sure, but it is interesting to have that question in mind. The full song, like I said, this sort of goes with the whole album, but he's really experimental with his vocals. You know, he's, he's trying out different sounds. Sometimes he's singing in falsetto when he does the ha, 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 does that little raindrop line. Other times he's really hitting those low notes towards the end, those woos and those o's and trying different sounds. It's really cool. Like Captain was saying, you know, the chords of um, 
17 days. It's basically just G minor and it sort of half goes to F major, but it keeps stays on that G. So you get that sort of suspended sound going. But then like as Captain's saying, at one point it goes to a D and then a D diminished. Um, and it's just kind of weird. And he's still singing the verse. It's just different. And I like the fact that he just, he's running with it. He's like, he's experimenting with these songs. He's, um, he's trying different things, you know, whether or not it works. I mean, it kind of does, but it's certainly different. And then the way he gets out of that is he just kind of plays these block chords, like left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand, just, and then he gets back to G minor. So it's hearing that kind of stuff, that spontaneous kind of, right, I'm in a different key. How am I going to get back? And he just does it effortlessly. And you hear that and you think he's not the greatest piano player. He's not like Chick Corea or, or Keith Jarrett or something like that. But I mean, like, He's got the brain that can get him from one place to another place on the keyboard, you know, just a few notes, just a few chords here and there. Yep, that's where I want to go. I can play this and then that. That'll transition into that. And he, he just knows how to do that. So it's really good hearing that improvised. Um, it's And again, one positive about this release is that we don't hear that on, you know, produced albums. You don't hear his ability to do that kind of thing. You don't hear his... Um, you can analyze the chords and stuff like that and go, oh, look, he's, you know, he's used this transition chord and then that transition chord and the move of that. But do it just on the fly like that is just, it's really cool to hear. I think that's all I have for, I mean, I'll just say the song grooves. I mean, it's got Prince's piano groove. He's just hitting those keys hard. There's something kind of sloppy about his piano playing in, a, in the best way. Like it's sludgy. Like he sort of hits notes hard. He occasionally hits the wrong like hits two notes at once. I don't know what it is, but he just, he hits them hard and it's sludgy and it always just has so much funk to it. Uh, even if it's not crystal, like his rhythm might be a bit off here or there, but it's, he's, there's so much soul in it. So that's my review of 17 Days. All right, all right, all right. Should we just cut and paste that for every track, the same thing? <laughs> this happens a lot of the times when we record these shows. You know, this, the first song often summarizes the album. So a lot of what you say about the first song goes for the rest of the albums. Certainly for this one as well. All right, player, player. Tell us what you think about the opening performance on this. Uh, for this song track <laughs> chapter, I love this. I love how dark it is, especially with the left-hand bass notes that he's doing and the groove of it. That's what I love the most, the tapping of the foot. I really would have loved to have seen this on the 2016 Piano Mark Tour. I love his style of playing. I mean, Toe Jam touched on it a bit before like he's not some like he's really good at the instrument but he's no like sort of virtuoso on the instrument but he he can get his way around a keyboard or a piano and i like the attack that he does on the keys and stuff and the, the contrast that he he can like make it really loud and soft and like just to emphasize it and just the, the way he grooves like he uses it really rhythmically I know he said, like, in Keeble magazine, he saw himself as a colorist. So, you know, he didn't even really see himself as, like, a um, master sort of keyboard player, but just enough to sort of make it sound interesting. And um, you definitely hear it in this album, but you also hear it in this track. And I, I just love this as, a, as an opener. I mean, the other tracks we'll get to, but, yeah, this is, this is a good intro. Okay. Well, I'll round this out by repeating... Actually, I won't repeat what a lot of you guys have said. I'll just say I agree with pretty much everything everyone's mentioned so far. The only things I'll add is, so clearly I like this as an opener. I think it's one of the strongest performances as part of this rehearsal performance. This, along with maybe one other track, are really the highlights for me. And one of the reasons that I like this a lot is, yes, it's a full run-through, as Captain said, but to me, and play a kind of, almost touched on this as well when he said that he would have liked to have seen this on the piano and mic tour. I agree with him, 
And the reason is I love Prince's percussive piano playing. You know, Toe Jam said he's no chick career and he's not, but he doesn't have to be because he's got this like really unique style and he, he's really like hitting the keys. He's, yes, he's in fine voice and his bluesy vocalizing is really nice to listen to. His natural register, the mid range, all that kind of stuff. I just really like it when he sings in his more natural tones, but it's the percussive piano playing on this track. Yeah, man, he's pressing hard on those keys. He's thrashing them and it's brilliant. You can just hear every element of his fingers on the keys and uh, especially the bass notes when he gets really, really low. Really, really awesome to hear. You know, this is piano and a microphone and his piano's in fine form as is his voice, but it's the improvising vocally that I think is good. Like this isn't a classic vocal performance from a singing perspective, but it's really cool to hear him taking these slight detours as he's going through different aspects or different parts of this Uh, pretty much full run through of the track. And, uh, you know, Captain actually mentioned earlier, this is going to be hard to review because, you know, normally we say, you know, at three minutes 40, check this out. And although I agree with Captain, this song itself is actually an exception because at three minutes 40, and I think Captain said 341 in his notes, (laughs) he does some really strange stuff, some really weird progressions, I don't know if the chords are weird or if the progressions are weird, but it sounds kind of strange and and I like that. But this is like a private listening. I mean, it is in essence what we're listening to this whole bloody recording is a private listening session. But this song is one of the best parts of this. And um, I won't spoil the rest of the performance, but this is pretty much as strong an opening as you can ask for. Players mentioned that he would have loved to have heard this on the Piano and Mike tour of 2016. And I completely agree because, you know, why not? He played so many songs on that tour and this one clearly could have been a choice that he could have uh, come out with and probably would have been a bit unexpected as well. Did he play it on any of the Piano and Mike shows? I'm sure he would have. I don't believe so. I can't tell you for sure, but not, not during the Australian ones. Although, you know what? He may not have played this song, but I feel like on the Piano and Mike tour, and this is maybe a separate discussion, a lot of the stuff that he's doing in this song, he mimicked or redid, let's just say. Definitely. There's a certain groove that he has where he's like on the one and dun 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 And he sort of, yeah, I agree. He's like, that's sort of like his bedrock. And then he sort of builds from there on these sort of like funky songs. And and you know what? I think he did play it. Oh, wow. Well, I would have loved to have seen it. Okay. What show, Captain? Wouldn't have been Sydney. (laughs) Otherwise, our memory is terrible. Ah, yeah, exactly. No, it was part of this bloody sampler set. A couple of shows he did a sampler set and he played freaking 17 days. (laughs) Motherfucker. But that doesn't count. Motherfucker. That doesn't How dare you? That's blasphemy. Don't, you cannot mention sampler set on this show. Sampler set a microphone. I'm waiting for that album. <laughs> That's right. Oh, God. You know it exists. It'll be the next release. <laughs> you know it exists. <laughs> but you know, Toe Jam, you mentioned that there's that kind of the rhythm, the rhythmic element of his playing. And I, I keep to referring to it as percussive. I think it's more a case of him just using that because he, as Miles Davis said famously, um, you know, Prince don't, don't hear Ravel when he make want to make love to his woman, he, his drums and shit. And I think when Prince plays piano, he hears drums and shit. And he can't, sure, he can play melodic and fluid and 
somewhat disjointed sometimes. But I reckon, this is my, just my gut feel, he probably would have got bored at some point. He's like, let's kick the groove in here. But obviously there's no one on percussion or drums. So what does Prince do? He plays percussively. So I think that's more so the case when it comes to songs like this, rather than his inability to be more fluid. I'm not saying he's a Hancock or a Korea by any stretch, but I think um, he was quite adept at being versatile. And you know what? As an album opener, although we've all, we all agreed that this is quite strong, as an album slash rehearsal opener. I have to say that this very early on in this official release shows Prince's versatility. And um, I don't think anyone can be upset with that. I'm horribly upset at that comment. You you what? (laughs) Terribly upset. Let's go into the continuation of this performance with a smidgen of Purple Rain. Purple Rain. Um, 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 player, what are your thoughts on this little tidbit? Well, yeah, it is little. It's like a blink and it's gone track. It's almost not even worth listening as a track. It's a bit gospely rendition, but really, I only really see this as a bridge between 17 days and a case of you. Like, it's very quick. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> You know, he just recites some of the lines. It's it's not even, uh, to my ears, not even really closely mirror the original song. It's just like he's kind of noodling and just adding, kind of scatting the lyrics. And he's then into the next song. So, yeah, it's there, but it's not like the proper song or rendition. And I don't really have anything to say about it because it's so short. It's just a thing. It's just a song. <laughs> just a little short yeah. thing. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a showering of purple rain. It's just like a, Ooh, it's a little shower. A sprinkle. <laughs> a sprinkle, that's a it. A little tinkle. <laughs> <laughs> they should rename it as that. It's Purple Sprinkle. <laughs> so with that, Toe Jam, what do you think of Purple Sprinkle? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say this is the most skippable song on the album, only because it's basically a segue, as Player was saying. I guess the only thing worth saying about this is that it's good that it's there, in that the estate didn't chop it up. They didn't chop this session up. They understand that this is a session that is a start to finish, and it's Prince exploring different ideas. He starts a song, he gets, what, a minute into it, changes his mind, But that's part of the session. So that's the only good thing about this is that it's there and it should be there to sort of show that, you know, this is him improvising through this session. But I don't have anything to say about it. It's 60 seconds of him thinking about doing Purple Rain and then changing his mind. (laughs) Oh, gosh. You took the words right out of my mouth about him thinking of doing something because really that's all it is, right? It's a short and somewhat sad, I don't know why, I find it quite sad musically, improvisation of the song and he kind of mumbles his way through parts of it but it's not really the song as you guys have all said and I have to agree Toe Jam that it's I wouldn't even go as far as it's I'm so happy that it's there but if they would have chopped it up I would have been the first to say how dare you you know you decided to release a rehearsal performance you know this intimate thing why, why, how could you possibly cut this out so it's almost like damned if you do damned if you don't and I agree it wasn't an easy decision, but they made the right one is to just keep it as it is. So actually, I'll take that back. They probably didn't even make this decision. They probably just released the whole performance or decided to release the whole performance without even thinking about whether or not this was worthy. You know what it is? It's for those non-fans or fans or whatever 
they go in the record store, they pick it up, look at the track listing. Oh, Purple Rain. It's got Purple Rain on this. I'm going to buy this. You know what? Well, that is a good point. My point's coming. It's my turn. Ah, okay. I was going to say, that is a very good point. And and Captain's kind of... Uh, everyone who listens to the Peach and Black podcast and has been for the last 10 or so years knows that we don't share notes or, or thoughts before the show. And hopefully that makes it a little bit more interesting and spontaneous. And Captain's given me a very <laughs> subtle, not so subtle hint that he might have something to say about <laughs> it. But uh, all I'll say before we go to Captain is the point the player made, I think, is a very good one because... Exactly. If you look at the track listing without hearing it, you might be going, oh yeah, I get to hear Purple Rain in this intimate setting. But with that, take it away, Captain. Toe Jam almost touched on it. He said he's glad it's on here because some reason. The only reason this track is on, the only reason this album got released is because Purple Rain was in the track listing. Ooh, that's a big call. Like everything else. If it's not Purple Rain, they're not interested. But this is not Purple Rain though. Yeah, but before you buy it, you don't know that. Like Player said, they're going to go, oh, look, Purple Rain. Oh, 17 Days, that was the B-side. Oh, International Lover, that was off 99. I know some of these songs. Strange Relationship, oh, yeah. But it's Purple Rain. That's the big freaking target that people are going to see and target bargain bins where this album's going to end up. There's a reason why it's not titled Purple Rain in brackets Segway. <laughs> Which is what it is, really. But it should be. It should be. It's it's misrepresenting. I think it's misrepresenting the well, song. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit over a minute. Doesn't even get to a minute and a half. Like Player said, it barely even resembles the actual release track that people know. Or musically. And yeah. yeah, but it's hard to tell if he's already nailed down the song and was just noodling around with it here or if this was actually insight into the writing and this was actually happening as we listen to it. But this is the big thing. This track, I reckon, is a big reason why this album got released. That and the fact that in some genius's mind, because Prince's last tour, he played piano and then Dopey found a tape in the vault of Prince playing a piano. Oh, that's a, that's a link. What a genius. That's it. <laughs> but, no, but hold up. My question is, why don't you release something from the 2016 sessions? Like, we know Atlanta, his last shows were recorded. We know were the Opera House was recorded. We know Paisley Park at the start of it all was recorded. All these recorded. And all of those could have been released. It was up for contention. Those recordings of that tour had Purple Rain in it, especially the Atlanta show. It was like what he ended on or whatever. So like this comes towards the end of the show, like as our final conclusions, but it's like, why this? Why is it this? Who knows? But probably most people would rather hear Piano and Mike, a live concert from 2016 rather than this, if you're a Prince fan. But it might have something to do with Warner Brothers. And again, I don't know for certain, but I don't believe Warner Brothers had, at the point that the decision was made to release this particular album, I don't believe they had uh, the rights to Piano and Mike, the 2016 concerts. Does that make sense? When you say that, yeah, it makes sense. But Piano and Mike 2016 came from the vault. Piano and Mike 83 came from the vault. What's the difference? No, no, no. But it's, well, the difference is that Warner Brothers technically own the rights to this. Because it was recorded when he was under contract to Warner Brothers and 2016 was not. Yes. Okay. So I think in a really unfortunate situation, legal or whatever contractual situation, they chose this rather than potentially something much more 
special. That's just my guess. I have yes. a lot to say Don't about this entire thing as the first choice as a released okay, we'll, album, we'll but that. we'll get to that later. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just think that it's a Warner's Brothers thing more so than anything else. But yeah. Hashtag purple sprinkle. <laughs> what else do you love about this improvisation? Catholic? I'm done. That's it. I already talked longer than the track okay. itself about it. <laughs> Far longer. Tenfold. It's just, like Play said, it's just there. Blink and you miss it. But it gets Purple Rain on the track listing so people will buy it. That's the point. Yeah, and I will hammer down this point even more so, even though we're kind of flogging a dead horse by now. But this track listing thing is really, a, it's just, it's not nice actually is what it is because... For the hardcore, they'll know most likely what they're getting. For the casual fan or for the normal, general, let's call them sane human being who is a Prince fan but isn't like completely nuts and has everything he's ever done, when they see this, they will most likely get excited by hearing an intimate, raw, stripped-down version of, of arguably his most iconic song, and they get this. <laughs> so it's a bit weird. Well, that's another thing. Who is the target market for this album? But we'll get to that as well. Yeah. Clearly, it's the general slash regular slash casual slash even non-fan. That's who the target market is. So Clearly. Uh, from Let's go from one suggestion of a song to another. From Purple Sprinkle. Rain suggestion to a suggestion of A Case of You. Take it away, Toe Jam. Uh, yeah, so this is only a minute and a half or so again. And uh, this is obviously the famous song composed by Joni Mitchell off her Blue album from, I think, 1971. And it's a great song. It's hard to say much about this as well because it is, again, just a verse and a chorus. Like, just I think he only does one. And we also know that Prince released another piano version of this in 2002 on the One Night Alone piano CD. Uh, which isn't entirely just solo piano and microphone. There is some overdubs and a little bit of guitar and effects and keyboards in that one, but it's predominantly a piano and vocal track. Uh, I think the 2002 version is superior because it's completed. Like this is just, it's hard to diss this thing, but it's like, it's just a rehearsal. He thinks about doing a case of you. He likes that song. We know he likes that song. He plays it every now and then on, on a piano medley and he, he plays it and he sings it and he goes through it and it's it's good. I mean, he sings it well. He plays it emotionally. Uh, he sings falsetto primarily. Just towards the end, he starts experimenting a bit with a big whoa or something. But, I mean, it's nice. It's, the positive about it is that it's a snapshot of what Prince's ability to just try out different things is what I think this whole idea of this set is just a song comes to his head, he's going to give it a go. And so that's what it is. Next. All right, all right. Player, what do you think of this fragment of a case of oh, it's like word for word what toe Jam said like i 100 percent agree <laughs> i mean it's no surprise it's not a, it's not a case of you it's like a it's a six pack of you <laughs> <laughs> it's a long neck it's a bottleneck is what it is it's no surprise that prince really likes this song i mean he bought it out a lot i mean toe Jam mentioned that and as good as this is including the way he stretches out his vocal, like he, his vocals on this is really good. But I think the One Night Alone piano album is the definitive version and I like what he did with that. And it just seems a bit more concise and more sort of thought out. Whereas like Tojem said, this is kind of like as part of the rehearsal, it's his head goes through, um, quickly get bored with something. 
just like he was as a, as a businessman, like he dreams up ideas and then he's on to the next thing or the next album or the next whatever. Same with these rehearsals. He starts at something and then it's, you know, he's on to the next thing. It's cool that it's there and it's an insight into the process and that's really cool, that sort of thing. But, you know, if you're taking it as a track on its own, you know, the One Night from um, One Night Alone Piano from 2001 or 2002 is like the definitive version. Yeah, wow. It's just going to be more of the same from me. Yes to player, yes to toe jam on this one. Both this fragment of Purple Rain and, and what we're talking about now, Case of You, they're far too short, but it's almost impossible to criticize Prince here. Like he's just sitting in front of a piano rehearsing. So it's this kind of mind boggling to even try and say a bad word about the fact that anything is too short, because at the end of the day, he's just rehearsing. He's letting his spirit move him. He's basically practicing is another way of putting it. Playing music, which is pretty much what he did every we'll get to that. day of his life. So, you know, I can't, I can't say, Prince, you should have played a longer version of this. I mean, <laughs> that would be, He'd be like, ridiculous. You know what? I'll do that and I'll release it in 2002. Just wait, 19 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he's clearly a fan of Joni Mitchell. He likes this song. This became something that he would revisit, especially on the 2016 Piano and Mike tour. He played this frequently and pretty much in full Far better, far more emotional, all that sort of good stuff. Uh, Captain, what are your thoughts on this fragment? This fragment, just, yeah, about a minute and a half for this one as well. And yeah, we've already said this is the second time now that this cover song has been released by Prince. But one interesting aspect now is this has been officially released again, that there should be some money going Joni Mitchell's way. And given her recent health issues, you know, that could possibly be a welcome bit of cash. No idea on what her finances are, but twice now this song's been released by Prince. That's a good thing. I really don't think she's waiting to collect royalties. I don't, no, I don't think she's sitting there waiting cash. for it, no. But it'd be a welcome bit of cash out of nowhere, which she wouldn't be expecting. Extra money is always welcome. Anyway. I mean, wow. <laughs> but I guess that's something that that thought never even got a look in from the people running the circus now. So, But anyway, the song itself, yeah, I don't have much to say. It's... <laughs> It's a re- it's a just a ramble through for a minute and a half and then like I said at the start this is so hard to review like what are we reviewing it's just him mm. just yeah. rambling he's just noodling it's Renato's noodling but Prince is doing it and he gets halfway through a song and then he starts singing the lyrics to another song and then 10 seconds later you're in that song it just that's how it goes <laughs> From one fragment to another. I want to take a moment just before we move on to talk about more about Joni Mitchell and Prince. And, um, you know, there's the story about when Prince was a teenager and, and she must have played, must have been in Minneapolis, I guess. And um, Joni Mitchell says, like, Prince was basically at the front of the stage just staring at it the whole time, like with those big, you know, brown eyes or whatever he has. And, uh, like, <laughs> that's the story. I mean, I, I can't remember the exact <laughs> quote, but that's what Joni says. Yeah. And, I mean, they obviously developed uh, a friendship and um, there's uh, lots and lots of references to Joni Mitchell songs in Prince's music. The first one that comes to mind is the Ballad of Dorothy Parker where, you know, the girl in the song puts on the radio or something and it's uh, it's Joni singing, you know, help me, I think I'm falling. And there's heaps and heaps of them. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. I'm sure the Joni Mitchell experts will know better. But like um, Prince's music is loaded with references to Joni Mitchell songs. So it's definitely something worth a look into. So if you haven't looked into Joni Mitchell's albums, worth doing. All right. I remember reading there was some interview and he said one of Joni Mitchell's albums, I think it's called The Hissing of Summer Lawns, 
in whatever interview that's he said the one. that's the best album ever you know paraphrasing that's what he said so yeah i think it was something like it's the last great album that he that mm. he heard or something yeah that's it <laughs> so there you go check out journey mitchell next track this is another cover song it was released as a single online prior to the release of this album it is entitled merry don't you weep Baby, don't you weep Oh, mother, don't you moan And I'm going to pass this on to Player to open up his review of this track. Right. This is, like you said, the first single. It's what they chose out of this uh, rehearsal. And I can see why, because everything else is like either already released or cover versions mainly yeah this is good like it's nice spiritual gospel song um, nice to have it's an impressive song a strong vocal uh, nice to show up to general public like his abilities on piano and as well as you know the, the dynamic range of his voice but again it's it's something that's part of the rehearsal so it's something that he moves on to plays it then moves on to the next song so it's good in the fact that it's something that we don't have before but you know it's it's just the the process of his rehearsal so yeah it's cool for me this is the price of admission this along with 17 days of the undoubted highlights that takes the words out of my mouth it's like the carrot this is the carrot that they dangled the first single so come and get mm. your piano and microphone rehearsal i think th there's a strategic choice in this particular song to get people interested. Yeah. It's something about, I don't know what it is, but well, it's... I mean, th yeah. that is the purpose of a single, so it's not like they're doing anything wrong by that. No, I'm not suggesting that, but it's... Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe you guys can, can help me out. I think the performance is just so good of this particular spiritual, of this gospel track. Yeah, it is good, yeah. And I think the other thing is that it's so surprising that, first of all, it's just unique. You know, it's not the same old, same old. I guess I'm talking a little bit more about why this might appeal to people if they heard it as a single and then wanted to consider purchasing the actual release. But I'll just quickly finish on why I think it's actually fantastic. He goes full gospel here. Again, his mid-range growl, I'm going to call it, just conveys the heartbreak of love lost and, and of the difficulties of, in this instance, for the woman, you know, potentially being cheated on or whatever your interpretation of the song is. But yeah, his mid-range growl is in the house on this one. He conveys the emotion really well. There's a great reference to Martha, who I believe, if I'm correct, was his assistant at some point. Ba -ba. Oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> Who's Martha? Tell me who Martha is. Have we? I feel I'll, I'll get to that in my review. Before, and I always get it wrong. Okay. You mean my, my inaccuracy or Martha? <laughs> Let, let's just keep it moving. Anyway, he refers to Martha, whoever she is. The guys on the panel will fill me in and fill you in, the listener, if you're not aware. But she allegedly cooks the best pancakes. I just find that line very, very funny. And I, my um, knowledge of, of old Negro spirituals doesn't include references to cooking great <laughs> pancakes. So that's quite <laughs> of an interesting line to throw in there. And yeah, this is a stunning performance. And now I'll just conclude my review by going back to the point the player made. I think it is strategic. But every single, to Toe Jam's point, is strategic because it wants to show off the best. This is the very best that you're going to hear. And ironically, and possibly unfortunately, depending on your point of view, it kind of is the best you're going to hear. And it's great, but it's not a full album of this sort of emotion and 
and just delivery. It is strategic, but maybe not in the best way. But yeah, we'll get to that. I think it is It is strategic in the best way, actually, but in the best way for the label, for Warner Brothers, not necessarily yeah. in the best way to really give you a, a taste for what you're going to find. But like I said, 17 Days was super strong. This really takes it up a notch. And it's no surprise that this leads the charge as the first piece of material. So yeah, fantastic track, fantastic song. And for someone like me who was really unfamiliar with, you know, we're all hardcore fans, but I have to admit, I wasn't overly familiar with this sort of stuff. This was just a treat to hear when it first came out. So, Captain. Me and ToeJam listened to this this afternoon. We knew it's a cover, so we looked it up and we found out about the track. Like you've already mentioned, it's an old Negro spiritual, if you will. So many people have sung this song from the early 1900s. First recording was 1915. Wow. And so many other people have covered it since then. And what you said before about strategic as that being the single, if you're trying to sell an album, yes, you want to try and pick the best single or the best thing that's going to represent the album. This song doesn't represent this rehearsal. I think you already mentioned something similar to that. But by putting on this specific song, now, I don't know if I'm going to sound racist by saying this, but is that like if Warner Brothers or whoever releases this wants to go after, say, the black market, is this like a guaranteed thing? Put this track as the single. This is on there. Are so many people from that target market just going to go, oh, I know that song and I like Prince, so I'll buy that album. Whereas if they put 17 Days as the first single, that might be aimed at more of a white target market. Any thoughts on that? I'm staying out of this one. <laughs> Not from player. <laughs> I didn't think of that prior to you saying it. I just thought it was a great idea to preface the album release with this performance because the performance was so darn good. Arguably, it's the best part of this in rehearsal. But I mean, who knows? Let me put it this way. And you've caught me on the fly here, Captain, because like I said, you just brought this up. And it's the first time I'm thinking about it, but it's certainly not going to do any harm. Oh, exactly. For the quote unquote black community, uh, black radio, whatever you want to call it. I mean, this is a song that is has a lot of historical value and merit and princess of the culture and he's profiling the culture and, the, and that history and it's a marvelous performance I, th I think it's worth saying also that this is nothing surprising from prince because he you know in, in live performances that like in after shows or maybe not after shows but uh, you know mm. he, he wasn't foreign to playing like traditional negro spirituals and like you know a lot of blues and jazz and rock mm. like it stems from that a lot of it and so, you know, Prince has always been kind of a historian with American music as well. So he, he brings up a lot of this stuff. And, you know, he wrote his own, like, kind of civil rights protest-like songs throughout his career. So I think this is all part and parcel of who Prince is and where he's come from, I think. So it's not – I don't see mm. – it. I, so to release that as a single, I mean, you'd say, oh, is that an attempt to tap into a market? Well, yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, it's not something that Prince was averse to while he was alive. So, yeah, so it's like I don't have a problem with that. I think that's a fair point. But at the same time, is it fair to say that many people globally and maybe in America in particular don't realise that – Rock music comes from rock and roll, which comes from uh, blues, which comes, f you know, inevitably from gospel or some derivative of gospel music, probably. So the thing is, to Captain's point, I don't know that a typical rock-loving college student, for example, is going to get as much out of this song compared to Prince's fan base in 
Atlanta and Detroit, you know, for example, or Chicago, where, you know, when he was coming up, in the very early days, a lot of his audience was, because of the music he was playing, he was playing predominantly African-American funk R&B type stuff before he started, you know, incorporating the rock elements, which let's not go into the rabbit hole of <laughs> the fact that rock is also techni- technically a black, black music form. But, you know, man, Captain, look what you've done. <laughs> no, I just, because when you were talking about it's a strategic you know, from a business point of view, yeah, it's strategic. And then that just got me thinking, yeah, but not in a good way. But yes, in a good way, because it will attract possibly more people. It's not going to turn people off. You know, all they're looking at is how to maximize mm. their money, their profit. So, of course, you're going to appeal to as many people as possible. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But anyway, I haven't even mentioned the song yet after all that. Well, just before you do, Mary, Don't You Weep which is, of course, the first single of this album, now has an accompanying video and is in the official Spike Lee movie. A Spike Lee joint, I believe, was the, the tag that he uh, still uses. And, of course, that film is called Black Klansman. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, Prince and Spike Lee have, have a bit of a history together, so not completely surprising that Spike would use this. Okay, the song itself... I've never really liked this song that much, no matter who was singing it. What? <laughs> like minute and a half, two minutes in, I'm already over it. Hmm. Again, this might just be a, we've talked about this before, we're white. Prince was not. Some songs just do not connect over that, you know, cultural divide. Yeah, but I'm enjoying it. I just don't get anything out of it. And some people might be screaming at their speakers right now saying, how can you not? But I just don't. That's just me. I don't know what else I can say about it. Mystified silence, I think. This is just another passing thing in the rehearsal that I'm like, moving on, moving on. Wow. Another passing thing. (laughs) (laughs) What I will say is this is the song where I mentioned this before. Somewhere through this track, he starts doing the lyrics to Strange Relationship. And then before you know it, you're in Strange Relationship. Mm. Like this whole rehearsal, he's just going wherever his brain goes. And then he just flips and goes into another song within 10 seconds. So in that way, it's a great listen. That's all I'll say. Okay, okay. Toe Jam, round this one out for us. Okay, well, I'm going to disagree with all of you guys in the first point, and that is I do think that this song does capture the sound and the mood of this session. I think this session, there's something kind of sad about it in an emotional way. And I think this song, you know, it's half pretty much halfway through and it captures that. It's dark, it's sort of a minor blues thing, but it also has goes into that flat six, five down to the one, which is kind of like joint repetition, that's kind of three chord progression at one point. Uh, you know, he's bending those notes, growling, changing the, the timbre of his voice throughout it. It reminds me of songs like um, Solo, even though that's kind of, I guess that's kind of a different song, but just the... This, the vocal is, is the standout, I think. Given that it is rehearsal, there, there are some kind of moments like, you know, the, the cooking the greatest omelets in the world, that lyric kind of, uh, it's a bit, it feels a bit out of place. Like he just had this little joke that came into his head. Maybe um, if Martha is a real person, maybe she did walk past the recording studio at that point and he gave her a shout out, who knows? But that, that bit's kind of a bit weird because the rest of the song's quite emotional. All right, now, who is Martha? Yep, here we go. Captain and I were listening to this song, doing a bit of research. And um, from what I can tell, you know, the original lyrics are a traditional Negro spiritual. And what that involved a lot of the times is taking biblical stories and kind of there's an allegory between, you know, they're, they're telling the biblical story, but really what they're singing about is their own slavery or their situation or that kind of thing. So, you know, the song Mary Don't You Weep is um, referring to Mary and Martha 
um, who are the sisters of Lazarus, who in the Gospel of John, Jesus raises from the dead. So yeah, you have references to Mary and Martha in this song. And if you look through the what I think is the original lyrics, basically reassuring to, to Mary and Martha saying, you know, God told Moses what to do. Don't you weep. You know, Moses stood by the Red Seashore, smoting the water with two by four. Pharaoh's army got drowned. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Now, why is she weeping? It's because her brother Lazarus has just died. She's not aware yet that Jesus is going to come along and raise him back to dead kind of thing. So obviously, I don't believe that, but you can see the metaphor that a Negro spiritual might use that for. Like, you know, we may be in a tough position now, but, you know, don't you weep. There's hope. There's potentially something better coming. So it's interesting. So, yep. In other words, I'll get my pancake somewhere else. So as so often... It does. It comes back to Jesus for Prince, but I don't. I don't mind it in this sense. I think you know that kind of traditional Negro spiritual is a is a is a good way of using you know religious metaphor and allegory to to reinterpret it into your time kind of thing. Uh, so I think this is a really interesting song. I think it summarizes the, the feel and the sound of the of the album. It's got Prince doing experimental stuff. He's trying different things. It's dark. Uh, it's minor. It's um, a very interesting song. And that other line in it, that, oh, whoa, 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 I couldn't figure it out, but that's from something else too, and I can't quite pick it. He also says the line, I got a bad, bad feeling, and that reminds me straight off um, the Raven. Purple House. Exactly, where he says, um, I got a bad, bad feeling, you know, my little Puerto Rican baby don't live here no more. <laughs> There's a lots of things in this album that you hear and you think, oh, that's kind of from this that he ended up doing later or princisms, I guess. So, yeah, it's a very interesting song. Look, this just one final comment. This was used, well, not only has it been used in the Spike Lee movie, but also the official video for this song is certain scenes from the film put in a certain order. And uh, the only thing I will say is that it's a striking video and it complements the music and the music complements it, vice versa. So no complaints from me. Not something that I'm going to watch probably more than once, but I think it's well done. So... All right. Well, someone, I think Captain might have mentioned that during this performance of this track, Prince mentions or no, he doesn't mention. He starts singing some of the lines from a song called Strange Relationship. And a fragment of that song is coming up right now. So to talk about that strange relationship, Captain, what are your thoughts on this one? This it's probably my favorite track on this release. 17 Days is good, but this is the one I, I just like this one more. It's an interesting, pretty early take on this. I think it was written maybe 80, it was 83 or 82. So it's, you know, but it's still, it didn't come out to 87. So it's a pretty early version and you can hear it's in his head and some of it comes out. Yeah, I like this song. This is the, what's the opposite of most skippable? What do I say? Just, it's my favorite song. <laughs> most listenable. Most listenable. Most repeatable. <laughs> yeah. 17 Days and Strange Relationship. Yeah. I will listen to these some more. Even though it's not that long, it's good. Okay. But yeah, like I said, in the lyric before, in Mary Don't You Weep, he says something like, I guess you know me well, I don't like snow. And then he says some other line. And then, yeah, before you know it, we're into this. So it's a cool little transition he does there. Again, just as you said that, my first thought again is like, what's the genesis here? Is this is he playing this song with the song already completed? Or is this him working out the song or at least putting it together for maybe the first, second or third time? It's a really interesting question that I wish I knew the answer to. Okay, player, what are your thoughts on this version of Strange Relationship? Yeah, just to Captain's point, it's incredible that he had this under his hat for so long before he put it on an album. 
And to Turgim's point, yeah, like it does beg the question, is it a thing that he's working on? It sounds pretty well formed. Like if this was uh, improvised, it's pretty impressive that, you know, he's got the groove and the lyrics down pat kind of thing. But yeah, it, for me, ev- everything is that groove. There is the noodling, but, and, and you know, he's fleshing out the song, but that groove, the dun 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 dun, yeah, it's just killer. Like, I, I love it. I'm, I'm in agreement with Captain. This is, this is a great track. And every time he puts this on the, the piano, every time he does it on piano, it's always well done. Mm. Well, my thoughts on this are when I saw Strange Relationship on the track listing, I got really excited. And then when I heard the song, my excitement went really limp, like a balloon having the air squeezed out of it. This is a practice take. And again, I'm not mad at Prince for this. He's just having a rehearsal. That's what he's doing. He's playing the music and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it's not the most polished performance. He's playing around and noodling. It is interesting, but at the same time, it's kind of forgettable compared to all the incredible versions live versions and the studio version of this track. So I'll say it's fine. Again, it's so hard to talk about this because it's not like you can take this out because if you remove this or if you move Purple Rain, all of a sudden it doesn't become this continuous rehearsal anymore. So uh, yeah, it's so weird to talk about this in that context. It's basically a snippet. What players had just said before is like he had this song in his head and it didn't come out for years and years and years on the album. But then you think we're listening to this, just him and his piano on a little tape recorder or a studio, whatever it was. But that makes you think, how many times did he sit down at a piano in a room by himself and play Strange Relationship before he even recorded it Hmm. or before anyone else heard it? And it just makes you think how many other rehearsals like this there are. He just, he'd wake up, you know, three in the morning, go in the studio and play for an hour and just do this, like random stuff. These are all the recordings that are sitting in the vault. Apart from all the proper songs he recorded and live stuff he's got, there's all this as well. There'd be piano and vocal rehearsal every other day of the week. There'd be guitar and vocal. There's all this. It's just mental when you think about how much there is. The news album, Piano and a Mic. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy when you think that this is just one. Possibly some people have heard this before. We'll get to that later. But there's so many more Mm. rehearsals that are just sitting in there in Iron Mountain. And this is one of them. And he transitions from Strange Relationship into another early 80s classic. But before he does that... <laughs> talks to Toe Jam? He does. <laughs> okay. Toe Jam, what do you think about this track? I don't have anything to say about this. Weekend. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, actually, I don't, have, I don't have a whole lot to say. I'll just say um, it's funky, but I have heard better versions on the piano from Prince. He again is kind of experimenting with his vocal. At one point he sings that I'll take the blame line and then he quickly changes voice to go, but I want you to know. like So it's almost like he's doing two different characters at that point. Um, there's one point where he's getting funky and he hits hard on each beat and except for beat, like he does a two bar thing when on beat eight, there's like a rest. So he's like one and two and three and four and five and six and seven rest. One and two. I don't know. Something I noticed. Towards the end, he tries to go out there in the outro with some success. It sounds like he's sort of seeking for ideas, but he just doesn't quite latch onto something. And so it's sort of, okay, I'm moving on now. But yeah, it is what it is. Strange relationship. Very good song that Prince regularly returned to. All right. Well, Toe Jam, keep it moving because I was going to go to you for this next track and I'm just about to do that now. Prince transitions from Strange Relationship into another early 80s classic, International Lover. 
Toejam, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? I really love this song, the song itself. Uh, I love anything from the 1999 album. This is a really funny song. I would say this version is funny, but it's it's certainly an interesting performance. Lots of great use of space. Like he, he really hesitates on playing some of the chords and you get that moment of, <gasps> is he going to hit the next chord? And, and so he's playing around with the time a bit more, which is kind of good after some of the more of those funky, sludgy kind of songs. Um, his vocals are kind of hesitant. Like it's almost like he's scared to sing some of the lyrics. And I wonder if that's because he's going for that comedic sort of vibe or whether it is that he's kind of a bit embarrassed about some of these lyrics. And you wonder if there's the other person in the studio maybe hasn't, doesn't know the song and is like, what the hell is he singing about? Like, um, so that's kind of interesting. He's, so his vocal is breaking. He seems kind of hesitant. His falsetto is quite light. So it's, I think the vocal in this is a bit different to the other song, songs. Um, but then again, he goes into some more experimental things. Doesn't really play the song out full. Um, at one point, he's just doing these low hums to high hums, and he gets lower and lower. And his hums—I don't know if the hums get higher, but he's sort of like practicing, going, doing those big leaps with those hums that he does. And they're really cool because he, he does that big bend up to them, and then he holds that hum just going on. And it's, it's something he did as an, as an effect, so it almost sounds like a violin when he, by the time he gets that hum and he's sustaining it. And um, you start to hear as the song goes on, it's you start to hear some chords from Doomy Baby. He never actually gets straight into the song, but he certainly segueing into the chords more of Doomy Baby then, and it becomes more like that than International Lover. So again, really interesting to hear from the point of view of this is Prince experimenting with stuff, trying different transitions, sort of stream of consciousness kind of thing of where he goes with the song. So it's very interesting. Is it interesting to you, Captain, International Lover? If anyone remembers from the 1999 review, I wasn't a big fan of this track, and that's the fully produced final version so this sort of bumbling rehearsal is even more boring to me than the officially released track it's 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 like three and a half minutes a bit over it's an interesting run through but yeah like i think toe jam got it like the engineer's standing over the other side of the glass looking at him so i don't think he gets into the more intimate parts of this song no one there's a there's someone else's just over there. But yeah, I don't have that much to say about it. I know it's one of the longer tracks in this rehearsal, but I just don't like the song that much. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Player, what are your thoughts on International Lover? Um, I agree with Captain. It's more the chords for me. The vocal doesn't do it for me, but the chords. But apart from that, I don't really have anything to add. It's, um, I mean, it's a cool song and everything, but yeah, it's just not really much of a highlight. Or there's no standouts really for me. Gee, uh, to say I'm surprised is probably an understatement for me. And I'm not going to say this is the greatest thing on here, but... You're not going to electric into corset? <laughs> no, I'm not going to electric into corset, player, <laughs> but... 17 Days and Merry Don't You Weep are the one-two punch. They're the highlights on this set. Followed not too far behind by this for me. I think this is a brilliant performance. I love how it's really soft, delicate. He's playing sensitively. He's approaching the song very cautiously and he's searching. You can actually hear, the thing I love about this the most is I actually think you can hear him think. And it's very rare when I think of Prince's studio and live recordings to ever hear Prince truly think. You can hear Prince think a lot. And in this particular track and this performance, he's just searching and thinking and structuring the song, improvising really. But that Doomy Baby change is really cool. I agree with Player about the chords. It's all in the chords. Not really a vocal showcase, but 
possibly the best or the second best example of him just playing around and uh, trying to trying to make the pieces fit, you know? He's laying down the tracks to create a, a railroad track with this track. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm done with this one. I'm happy it's on here. Happy that he performed it that day when he felt like rehearsing. And with that, let's move on to another song entitled, not Monday, not Tuesday, it's Wednesday. Player, what do you think about Wednesday? Well, this was the song that was supposed to be in Purple Rain. Like it was, yeah, in the original track listing and for whatever reason it didn't make it. And it also didn't make it to the deluxe version. So, you know, I don't know about the studio version, but for this one, it, it doesn't really do it for me. Um, Him running through some songs in rehearsal, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's a good document of the era, like... You know, there is some Purple Rain stuff on here, like um, very briefly the title track, 17 Days. This, uh, you know, part of his rehearsal is probably running through what, what's upcoming, what he's working on. And, and so from a historical standpoint, that's that's interesting. But the actual song itself, it doesn't really do anything for me. And I think I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, it didn't really cut it for Prince either, if, you know, if it didn't make it to any sort of official release. Okay. Toe Jam, do you agree with that? It's an interesting song. I think the melody itself has a lot of potential. And uh, I believe that in the Purple Rain movie, this was supposed to be Jill Jones's song. I'm not 100% sure on that, but that's my recollection. Yeah, I think that's right. So it's always had a bit of folklore behind this song in the Prince fan community who, who knew that fact. Oh, Wednesday was a song that was supposed to be on Purple Rain. It's got that sort of music box melody to it that Prince was doing in the early 80s occasionally. Like just stuff like um, Ushishiwawa off, uh, is that Apollonia or Vanity? But like there's, a, like there's a segue before that and it's got this sort of music box segue and they sort of he did, did that, was doing that a bit at that time. The melody sort of goes up and down. It's sung falsetto. Again, it's sort of got a loneliness to it. I'm not 100% sure what the lyrics are, but it's, it certainly sounds like a lonely kind of song. There's some nice sort of wavy kind of Lydian sort of improvising towards the end. Again, it's the kind of thing that Prince would normally often do. Like sort of reminds me a little bit of Condition of the Heart, that in, the intro, like that sort of wavy thing he's doing towards the end. But then it just stops really quickly. He just cuts it just straight into the, the blues of the next groove, I think. So it's it's very short. And I guess it's good to finally have an official release of this, but potentially it's not the the complete song that we might have imagined it to be. So, yeah. So I'm going to vehemently disagree with you, Toe Gem, and say potentially it is not good that we finally have a release of this. But I, again, I can't get upset with Prince because he was just experimenting and throwing an idea out there. So it's almost impossible to be too critical, but I don't like it. It's particularly forgettable. And I, for one, didn't think it was possible to hear a piece of music that was worse than all the midnights in the world. But I think we've actually got a contender here. But, uh, you know, again, I'm not comparing apples with apples because this is not a fully formed and finished studio track. It's just an idea. You leave apples out of this. She had nothing to do with his song. And he mumbles, he, mu <laughs> he mumbles and fumbles his way through this. And with that, Captain, it's all yours. Wednesday, not the uh, Adams Family character. <laughs> This is probably my third favourite track on this album. Oh my God, you've got to be kidding. There's nothing there. It's better than the Purple Rain where there's nothing there. <laughs> you really surprised the me. The melody of this song I really like. 
there is a, the version with Jill Jones doing the vocals and that's a, you know, it is just piano and vocal, I think, but the piano is all properly done. This is sort of a bit of a fumble through it, but the song is still there and I like the song. I like this rehearsal. He doesn't do all of the song, but it's, um, it's good. I like it. How can you not like this? Hmm. It's crazy. My jaw is dropped to the floor. I thought you were going to pan this and just move on to the next uh, part of the performance. But anyway, allegedly, this is one of your favorite songs. Third. There's never a dull day here on this show when we record. This, that was ridiculous. There's a third best on the album. Okay. <laughs> next performance is entitled Cold Coffee and Cocaine. Any takers for this one? Interesting title. I'll give it that. Captain, start this off. I see a lot of seeds. Cold coffee and cocaine. I just thought of Captain. Go. I'm sure Prince would have loved this track to be in his officially released canon. Cold coffee and cocaine. Mm. The song itself, it seems to me like a an acoustic version of chlorine bacon skin. It's the same voice. It's the same persona. It's the same idea. It's that same comedy vibe, but it's just Prince talking to himself. Is this the one where he just goes through trying to find rhyming words about a house and a mouse? And that to me, that is hilarious. You know, out of every track on this album, this is the one that seems like totally made up on the fly. And he's, he even says at one point, what, what rhymes with house? And I just burst out laughing when I heard that. I thought that was so funny. And then he goes on about a mouse and the, the, the grandfather mouse and just... He comes back to it. It's, that's what's funny about it. He's like, <laughs> what rhymes with house? And then like, it's like 30 seconds later, he's like, suddenly it hits him. It's like, oh, the little black mouse. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's hilarious. Like for this whole album, you know, it's marketed as, oh, it's, it's an intimate look at Prince, you know, and he's going through the songwriting process. This track out of all of them shows that, I think, especially when it comes to the lyrics, because he's mm. just off the top of his head in that ridiculous voice. It's just hilarious. If I'm going to rank it, this has got to be fourth best track on the album. <laughs> <laughs> Over Wednesday, I'm, I'm floored. Yes. You're flooring me. Uh, no, yeah, Wednesday, I think, is better than this because there's not much to this. It's just a bluesy thing. There's not much there, but it's just his vocal, his lyrics that he comes up with. That's what's hilarious. It's, it's good stuff. All right. Player, what are your thoughts on Cold Coffee and Cocaine, the performance? Yeah, it's good. If Captain released a song, it'd be Ice Coffee and Sherbet. But <laughs> this is cold, cold coffee and cocaine. I've always liked the groove and attitude of this one. He's got that Morris voice again, and his piano playing is just stunning. Like all through this, through this particular release, it is stunning. But you know, you can't fuck with that. Like <laughs> it's just really cool, and you know, I like how he's changing it up, breaking up the monotony of. Um, well, not that it was monotonous, but you know, like it's it's this song's very different to the other track. So yeah, it's cool. It's it's all about the groove and the attitude. It, it'd be interesting to see if he actually recorded this as a like a studio track. I, mean, I wonder if that's laying around in the vault. Hmm. Yeah. Well, let's see if a studio release ever comes out. But uh, what's clear as day is that this has been released, and I have to agree, it it is pretty cool. Again, very percussive piano by Prince. I agree with you when you say it's just fantastic playing. It is. He's rumbling around and he's he's using that inner pimp voice. It's kind of quirky, kind of funny. It's a pretty out there title, especially 
I guess, when you think of the time, but he was early in career then, and he was, you know, not too far removed from the bikini underwear briefs and all that sort of stuff. So it's not surprising to hear this. And who knows when this first came into his mind, it might've even been in the late seventies or early eighties prior to him sitting down and, and uh, doing this run through. But I digress. He puts a bit of well needed humor and fun into this session. And with that, Tojem, round out your thoughts on this one. Uh, This is fun and funky. It's G minor and it's all on the one again. There's lots of James Brown, like, horn ideas on the keyboards in his right hand. Like, he's... Like, you can just hear, like... You can hear Eric Leeds in Atlanta Bliss just smashing that stuff out on the horns. And, you know, even when he's doing that... On the, on the, again, on the right hand, it almost sounds like a horn swell. It's cool. It reminds me of the song Tricky on Captain Said, Chlorine Bacon Skin. There's a great reference to... And your ugly face. I just cracked myself laughing when I heard that. And uh, yeah, Captain and I were listening to this this afternoon and we were just both just cacking ourselves laughing when he gets to that, what rhymes with house, you know? And it's just like, he just leaves it up to your imagination. And then 30 seconds later, oh, like a little black mouse. And it's, 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 it's like he's struggling to think of something to rhyme with and then he hits him. It's just, it's hilarious. This is funky. I really like it. He goes up to A at one point and then he suddenly goes back down to G, but that's pretty much it, quarterly. He certainly plays this groove a bit more staccato than, say, 17 days. So it's a bit faster. And then there's a lot happening. You know, he's playing the bass line. He's playing these little pops and things. And then he puts in these little horn sort of ideas. And, and he's just making up shit over the top of it. It's hilarious. It's great. It's, it's a great uh, example of Prince just having fun on the piano. And the title is cool, Cold Coffee and Cocaine. I think the only thing disappointing about that is that it sounds like it's going to be a kind of depressing song. It's going to be like um, Old Friends for Sale or something like that. But it's like, it's just this funny funk number. I really like this one. All right, all right. We're almost at the end of this intimate rehearsal performance. There's one more song to go. It's entitled, Why the Butterflies. Mama. Let's go around the room on this one. You know what? I'm going to start this off. I don't think I've done that for a long time. I hate to leave it on a downer. I'm just saying that up front. But there's a lot of silence. There's a lot of pauses. There's a little bit of haunting feel and mood. But it's kind of just plodding along. This is an idea. It's not terribly coherent. It's not terribly interesting. And I have to admit, I enjoyed 17 Days, Mary Don't You Weep, his searching version of International Lover. You know, and I can accept the rest because at the end of the day, it's a rehearsal. But this is probably the least involving and least engaging aspect of this release. Outside of the fact that it's just interesting from a curiosity perspective to hear this sort of idea, it's half-baked. And to me, it's not a strong closer whatsoever. I don't know. I'm just not feeling this. So there you go. Go ahead, player. I agree that it's not cohesive. It starts off with those deep bass notes, but it still sounds like he's finding his way around the keyboard and the vocals he gets right up there in parts. It sounds like a cool title, like Why the Butterflies. It sounds, you know, it sounds like it's a pretty cool thing, but when you actually get into it, it's like, uh, okay. So (laughs) it's not what I expected. Let's put it that way. I was expecting something a bit more and never really got it. So maybe I should just leave it on that. Okay. Toe Jam. Uh, I actually quite like this one just from the 
interesting factor of this is songwriting at the very, very, very bare bones. Like he's clearly making this up as he's going along and he's searching. But I think there is an idea there. And the, the kind of idea is it's kind of a dream song, like almost like from the point of view of like a baby who's sort of coming to consciousness and sort of seeing a butterfly and, and sort of trying to take it in and going, why the butterflies? It's so weird as an idea, but that's really interesting an idea as well. Um, it's, it's very suspended. He's playing an A-flat a sus chord and that just in the bass and that just keeps going, that chugging the whole way through. And he tries using as many different sort of sus notes as he can, lots of fours and twos. The vocals hit sixes a lot. Um, but that A-flat is just constantly in the bass and sort of, sort of keeps it all intact. It's just interesting in that it's, it's sort of left to the imagination to think, what was Prince thinking about? Like, what's it about? It's just, I find it really interesting. He's got that, um, the mama, like the, the vocal of mama, he's doing that major three to four again. So he's finishing on that four. And as I've said a thousand times in 83 to 85, he loved playing around that, that you know, having his melodies based around major three and the, and the sus four. So common at that time. Um, what else? What else? What else? The use of silence, like, um, oh, I don't know. It's just, it's such an intriguing, I find this really interesting to listen to. It's just, it's strange. It's not something you're going to put on to listen to for kicks, but it's just really, it's an interesting insight into Prince's mind, I think. And it's not till the very end where he sort of goes into a full sort of jam out in the last 15 seconds. But I mean, what is this song about? I mean, he's singing, you know, Mama, what are the butterflies? And then at some point he starts singing like, where is father? And you're thinking, is he saying father? It's like, that's what he, that's what the vocal would want to sound, but it's not always, he doesn't always pronounce it. And you think, oh, what's going on? It's just, it's very, very weird. The title of this song, the bootlegs have always titled this song Mama. I think that kind of makes more sense of a title of the song because that's he's like singing Mama. That's like, and then he, then Why the Butterflies. But they've titled it Why the Butterflies. And I I wonder if that's a bit of creative titling on, on behalf of the estate because maybe Why the Butterflies sounds more interesting as a song title than just Mama. I don't know. That's just, that's hypothetical there. I don't know. Hmm. But uh, like, you know, all the bootlegs have always just titled the song Mama. So I don't know. But yeah, I find it a really interesting song. I find it very intriguing. And um, as a closer, I think it kind of works because it's like he's coming up to the end of this dream, this like 35-minute dream piano session that has amazing moments, some exploratory moments, some not-so-good <laughs> moments, and this is how it finishes, and he sort of wakes up from this. So it's interesting. That's my review. Some people might be wondering when they're going to be able to wake up from this because it might have been a nightmare, and others... Well, might be hoping for another 35 minutes and hoping for a two, three or four disc set. Who knows? We'll get to that in a second. But before we do, there's Captain. But before we go to him, just one quick thing from me. And this is off the cuff based on the comment that Toegem just made around what is this song about? It's so weird. And I just got this sense of, I said, the, I used the word haunting when I was talking about it. And the more I think about it now, I think it's it's a very nervous song. It's like, you know, why the butterflies? Why is why so nervous? You know, he's asking this question, you know, why are you so nervous? What have you done? What did you do? You know, has the mum done something wrong? Has the father done something wrong? You get the impression that potentially something odd is going on and that Prince isn't explicitly saying it, but he's implying that something's kind of amiss. And the music does say that, but I do agree with you, Toe Jam. It's not a song that you're going to put on for a, for a good time. And uh, yeah, you're not going to do it just for kicks, to quote a Prince lyric. Someone raped the butterfly. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Captain, what do you think about this to round out our review of the music on this album? Tell us what you think about why the butterflies. No, why the butterflies. 
it is interesting and it is as this album's marketed you know an insight into the songwriting thing because and you can hear it in this song he could have come into this with you know two chords and then just made the rest up so in that way it's interesting it is that insight into his brain but listening to it as a a song on an album it's like there's not much there not much happens so you, you got to pick which way you, you're going to look at this track. He does some interesting things with the piano and his vocals, but this is yeah, this is one you wonder if it ever progressed any further. If he played it at six more piano rehearsals, or it even got to a basic studio version, we won't know that for a long time, if ever. But on this album, it's an interesting closer because it does what the album says, and that's oh, listen to Prince in the studio writing songs. That's, that's what he's doing. We don't know if this ended up as a song or this could have been the only time he ever played it. So then in that way, it's a totally unique thing and it's interesting that way. We said at the start, it's so hard to review this and there's so many ways you can look at this album. Yeah, I, I can't say anything more about it. It's interesting. Okay, wow. We've come to the end of this rehearsal performance, this intimate session of Prince in front of a piano, not a keyboard or a sampler set, an actual <laughs> piano and his microphone. So that's the music. Here comes the controversy. (laughs) We've done the track by track. Oh man, it's been quite a session, guys, and some very insightful and colorful commentary and opinions by everyone. Let's try and conclude this mammoth show and this uh, pretty major release for Prince by uh, MPG Records and Warner Brothers by going into our final thoughts. Roundtable conclusion. I'm going to hand it over to... Captain. Okay. I have a bunch of things to say about this release, but we've commented on the content, on the music, but most of the things I've got to say are squarely aimed at the choice of this particular tape being the first posthumous release from the estate, not the content itself. That's it. We did that track by track. Anyway, choice of this as the first album really to be released is just ridiculous to me. It's like a joke to see how low they could set the bar on how willing Prince fans will part with their money. How low a quality thing could they release and still sell? It was number one on iTunes on the day, I think the day of release, which just blew Mm. my mind, really. Mm. I mean, I don't really care about the fact that this is something Prince would never have released. It never would have happened. This was purely just put ideas on tape, might come back to it later. This wasn't like putting down basic tracks for a song or something that was going to end up somewhere. This was never going to be released. But I don't really care about that. But the fact that they chose this and the guy who's handling, looking after this thing is this Michael Howe. And he said in an interview, when he went into the vault, this tape was the first thing he went looking for. Now, that might just be a line for promoting this album. But if that is actually true... I think it might be a line. What, <laughs> what, if that is actually true, what the hell? I think it might be a line. <laughs> it has to be just a promotion line because that is just t- out of the thousands and thousands of things you would go in and look for. He chose this. I still st- I said this on Twitter and I still stand by this statement and I always will. There is not one single person on this planet, Prince fan or otherwise, who would have chosen this cassette tape unprompted <laughs> to be the first posthumous Prince release. That's my statement. Not a person alive. You have weight in that because the Troy Carter interview in Variety said that Michael came to them and goes, look at this cassette. And it's like, they were like, oh, wow, look at what you found kind of thing. So yeah, I think, yeah, maybe they did. It was 
one of the things they actually went in specifically for. Even if you gave Prince fans a list of 20 albums, 50 albums, and this was one of them, this wouldn't even be in the top 10, given all the other things that they could have released. I, it just blows my mind. Mind blown. It's just <laughs> like the album itself is okay. It's for me, it has no repeat listening. Like I'm not going to go back and keep hearing new things like you do on like any track. Say, my name is Prince. Every time you listen to that, for the first 50 times you listen to it, you're going to hear a little thing. Oh, I didn't hear that before. That's not happening on this. You've heard it three times. You've heard everything there is to hear. This has no repeat value for me. And I just don't get who is the target market. Like our friend Seth Everett said on Twitter as well. It's like it's devaluing the contents of the vault. If casual fans are just going to go and pick this up and go, oh, look, it's got Purple Rain. It's got 17 Days. Oh, yeah. International Lover. And then they're going to listen to it and go, this is the quality of stuff that's in the vault. I'm not going to bother with anything else they release because this is not that great. So it's like they've set the bar so low. I just, I, it, oh, I can't say any more about it. I'm going to just kill somebody. It is ridiculous. Wow. And that's all I can say. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I can't say anymore. I'll, I'll go for hours. And again, just to clarify, you haven't seen the official video for Mary Don't You Weep, have you? Just in light of some of your recent comments. <laughs> no, no. Why? That would make all the difference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just, yeah, I, I don't know what else I can say about it. It's blah, done. Okay. Don't worry. Your murder charge will hold up in court, bro. So. Oh, yeah. We've got it, we've got it all on tape. Yeah. Okay. Good. With that, Tojem, what are your final thoughts on this release? Okay, I'm going to start with the positives. And the first positive I've written here is, I mean, it's unreleased material. This is the first time that other than uh, Moonbeam Levels and a couple of things on the Purple Rain Deluxe, this is the first kind of release that's, this is unreleased material. So that's a positive. Um, I, I would rather hear this stuff than to not hear this stuff. It has been circulating on bootlegs, but I think the sound quality on this is is significantly better enough that it overrides that fact that most of us already had this on a bootleg. Another positive thing is that this is a unique recording. This shows a different side of Prince to what I think most casual fans would have heard before. I mean, again, maybe some of us more hardcore Prince fans have heard this kind of stuff. We know that there's other piano rehearsals from the early 80s that they also exist. So we sort of, and those people who have seen Prince play the piano on tours like um, we kind of get this thing, but for many people, this would be something you know that they've never thought that the Prince. This is what Prince does. They might just have this image of Prince, the Purple Rain, the Guitar Hero kind of thing. If they have that, um, so it's you know it's, it's a different side of Prince, which is good. I think the packaging is kind of cool. I think it's a great image. Nice to have liner notes. Uh, nice to have some you know handwritten lyrics and this kind of thing. It's it's you know we have to remember that this is a. Uh, posthumous release and this is more about the history now than you know this is the latest prince album you know these albums that come out they are about the history of prince and i think this one does a good job of conveying that and my final positive is just prince is funky you listen to this and there's just as we've said in the track by track there are moments that are just cool and he's got that groove he's got that funk he's doing all crazy things with his vocals prince is funky they're my positives um my biggest negative that i've written here is that from the estate now, we've had the Forever release, which is a best of, which included Moonbeam Levels, which from what anyone can gather came from a cassette bootleg, basically, and not the master tapes. A year, uh, you know, a few months, a yeah. year later, we get Purple Rain Deluxe. And the unreleased material on that Source from cassette. came again from cassette tapes, not from presumably the master tapes. We now have this release 
And again, it's sourced from a cassette tape. So I said this when we recorded the Purple Rain review. I said I have a genuine fear that the master tapes of this stuff actually don't exist, that they're gone, they're lost, they're destroyed, whatever. And you know, this release is not alleviating me of that fear. Where are the master tapes? That's what I'm going to leave it with. And that, that's Michael Howe, where yeah. are the master tapes? But um, I will finish on positive. You know, I, I think this is a I think this is a solid release. I mean, you can always pick at problems with it, but I mean, I like this session. It's I like I listening to it. It's unique. It's interesting. It's historic. You know, I think this is. I'm I'm glad that they've released this. Then have not released it. All right, all right, all right. Uh, player, what are your final thoughts on this release? Okay, I have to preface this with what I'm about to say with, yes, we should support the estate whenever possible. I'm a massive believer in that. And yes, we've always said that if bootlegs were officially released, that we'd go out and buy them and support whatever is released. And yes, I recognize that there will be a section of fans that don't have bootlegs and haven't heard this before and excited for this. And I recognize those particular fans are going to say to me, STFU, but without sounding too negative about this, and I'm really holding back not to let rip on this. Hey, don't hold back. Don't hold back. I, I just unfiltered on this show. <laughs> I just can't, with good conscience, get behind this album. I was so disappointed and dismayed at the announcement of this back in June, coupled that with the Nothing Compares to You release. I will not be buying this release for a number of reasons, but primarily I'm not supporting this because otherwise I'm sending a message to whomever's in charge of these releases that I accept this from them. Yep. This is exactly what I was thinking as well. Yeah. It's like rewarding bad behavior. They're going to put out junk and we're going to buy it. Yeah. Are you saying that's junk though, Captain? No, I disagree with that. Well, compared to so many other things that they could have released, it's not the best, but you get the point, right? (laughs) To me, if we accept this, they'll just keep doing this to us over and over. If it sells well, well, they're buying it. Let's just keep putting this stuff out. And it's got to stop somewhere. Otherwise, this is all we're ever going to get. I mean, this is a rehearsal. I define a rehearsal as a practice. It's Prince practicing. Yes, it's a fascinating insight to listen to. However, there is no way you can convince me that Prince would ever want this officially released. Not a rehearsal with nope. a, a stack of tape here. Nope. He was way too much of a perfectionist in that regard. I think he would be horrified at the thought of this release. It's barely 34 minutes. It's already been released. I mean, did no one bother to check this? It would have taken them five minutes. Like... Do you know what I'm saying? Like for somebody to say, oh, you know, this is kind of already circulating as a bootleg. Is there something else in the in the vault that you can that we can get out there instead? Like, do you know what I mean? I'm sure this is not the only piano and mic release laying in the vault, but it's probably the only one from the Purple Rain era, though. So, and that's why we've got it. You know, I mentioned this earlier, and like the only link I can see is you know he finished with the piano microphone tour, and then in you know in Michael Howe's brain, oh look here's a piano rehearsal tape from 1983. Oh, that's the connection. Let's put that out. Like, what sort of link is that? There's definitely a link there. Oh, I think there's. Yeah, but oh, no comment. <laughs> there's no de- comment. There's definitely oh. a link. I'll get to my thoughts later. So keep keep it rolling, oh. player. I mean, we've all seen the pictures of the sheer amount of content that was in the vault. There's no shortage of selection that they have to choose from. And you throw out 34 minutes. Are you taking the piss? I mean, really, you know, I'm damn sure, like I said, there's, this is not the only piano and mic thing that's in the vault. They even had the sheer balls to use the exact same font from the 2016 Piano Mic Tour on this release for Prince's name and the album title. It's exactly the same font. Like, that's what they're going for. They know they couldn't release the 2016 recordings, but we're going to try and capitalize on that as much as we can, you know? It's just like, yeah, 
And you know how barren this release is, is because they beef it up with the packaging. I mean, it's 34 minutes. They know they can't get away with that. So they just, oh, you know, we'll put it with all these other pictures and stuff and beef up the price just to make it like worth people's while. To Troy Carter, look, I'm going to recognize the good work in getting the post-warner material out and up on streaming services. But this particular release, and especially that variety interview Troy did back in April, hyping this up as, you know, such, you know, a massive find, was such a massive letdown for me because what it implied and what we actually got was two different things. And to the estate, I'm not sure how much input you have, and I'm not sure if I'm directing all this stuff to the right people, but don't get these pseudo-fan blow-ins and banks calling the shots, you know, if you can. Form a group of curators from the Prince community or someone like Questlove or run it past anyone that knows the importance of the legacy. Otherwise, not only are you doing the fans a disservice, but you're doing a disservice to yourselves. And ultimately, it's a disservice to Prince. That's all I've got to say. Wow. Mic drop. (laughs) Piano and a microphone drop. Yeah. (laughs) Player just said something else that I was thinking and I forgot to say. This, I think this release actually damages the Prince brand. I believe that as well. Mm. It's just I couldn't dis- not- I couldn't disagree with you more, but I'll go into that in a sec. Like it's got its positives. Like it's a unique insight into his brain and the songwriting process. But like I said, once you've heard it a few times, you know, it's got no repeat listening value from me. And mm. it's like compared to everything else that he's put out, perfectly crafted songs and albums his entire career, then this, something he never would have wanted released. And it's just, it's just wrong. Anyway. <laughs> okay, wow. The phones are going off the hook, guys. The People are ringing to speak to Captain and Player at the moment. So uh, you guys, <laughs> you can deal with that. All right. Let's go, Twitter. Let's go. Bring it Let's on. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that just leaves me and... I've already covered a lot of what I'm about to say in my thoughts about the music, but I will put it in a slightly different way and add a couple of other uh, viewpoints from where I'm seated. Basically, I couldn't disagree more with whoever made the comment around this does this potentially does damage to Prince's legacy. Basically, I think the opposite. If anything, the, the opposite will come to pass. In saying that, I have to admit that it's pretty likely that Prince, in fact, it's probably guaranteed that if Prince were still alive, uh, he would never release this himself. Now, with that notwithstanding, though, I will say what someone gets when they either stream this release or buy the release digitally or get the physical copy and, and listen to it, they basically get, for the most part, a side of Prince that isn't really apparent on any of his records. I mean, this is, for all intents and purposes, a practice session slash rehearsal slash impromptu uh, performance of Prince at the Piano playing basically for himself. There you have it, for himself. Yeah, and, and in that respect, in that respect, I think it's remarkable because like, he's got a huge discography, right? And what, 40 plus albums or whatever it is of studio recorded work, then you've got the live stuff, then you've got all sorts of other stuff as well. And that's just commercially released, officially released material. I think if anything extends and adds to Prince's legacy, it's something like this. And I think if they release things in this vein in the future, it'll only enhance his legacy, whether it be other rehearsals or private tapes and footage and things like that. I don't think it would ever detract from it. And the reason I say it won't detract from it is even when Prince was just practicing, rehearsing or playing around, 
there was always something, as there is on this release, there was always something that was intriguing and interesting. And in some cases, like on Mary Don't You Weep or 17 Days on this release, something quite stunning and remarkable, even cold coffee and cocaine, right? The sense of humor and all this sort of stuff. The sides to the artist that are unseen. And I think that expands on his legacy. I think this was more well-received. A lot of people say this if it was added as a bonus disc on the Purple Rain Deluxe. As a standalone release, you know, it's a cool thing as the Purple Rain Deluxe thing, like, oh, it's another side of him and and all that. But at 34 minutes, you can't release this as a standalone. Like, if you're going to do something yeah. like this, you've got to make it more substantial. This would have been a great bonus, like, fourth disc on that set. I Yeah, I don't know. Or this could have been the 22nd posthumous release, not the first. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, although I hear you guys. I mean, from where, from where I'm seated... Yeah, if you gave me 70 minutes instead of 35 or whatever it is, I'd take it. And it is short-ish. I mean, not compared to something like Dirty Mind. It's actually longer than that album. But it's an, it, that's not an apples for apples comparison. So You leave apples out of this. Yeah. <laughs> She's got nothing to do with it. I get the idea that it would be great to hear a longer uh, version, but uh, time, the, the length of this jam session or rehearsal, whatever you want to call it, notwithstanding, it's still an insight into Prince the developing artist as he was just on the cusp of basically becoming a global music superstar. And for that, it has, let me put it this way. This release holds huge historic influence. It's like peering behind the curtain, peeping into a place in a living room that you were never supposed to be. And for the vast majority of people who aren't familiar, intimately familiar with a lot of bootlegs and, and aren't super, super, super intimate with every aspect of his career, let's say General Joe who buys this record, they're getting something out of this that they probably have never ever experienced on a studio record. I think it's an archive. I mean, everything is about Prince's legacy now because he's not going to be releasing new albums, right? Um, he's not around to do so. So everything is going to be a legacy release. Whether we think it adds to his legacy or not, whether you guys think that future releases do or don't, or whether I do... But these are all legacy releases now because I think Toja made the point, everything we get is going to be from the past now. And so when this was first announced, I wasn't particularly excited. And I have to say, I'm not particularly excited by this release, even today. Like it's not, I don't think it's amazing or remarkable. I don't think I'm going to be playing this often. But with that said, I'm not upset that it's come out. I like the fact that, you know, you can walk into a shop and anyone can buy something like this, bring it home and listen to it. Like imagine an individual who's never even heard something like Purple Rain or Kiss buys this, sits down and listens to it at home. I just like the fact that something like this is out there. Now, if it doesn't float your boat, that's cool. But at the same time, it's there and it's a part of his legacy. That's kind of the worry. This is something I was going to say as well. I would like for the Prince Estate, when they put out these releases, like one thing that kind of irked me is when I saw that symbol at the back, it's got, you know, the Prince symbol. And it yeah. sort of reminded me of like, you know, when you buy, you start buying CDs of an artist who's, you know, already, you, you never, you know of this historic artist and you start buying their albums, but you're already buying them, you know, years and years after they're dead. And, and I just remember experiences myself, like being a teenager in early twenties, buying albums of, you know, older artists and you're buying them. And then you don't realize actually this is like their estate release. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. you know, you buy a... Jimi Hendrix. Or a, or a Miles album or something like this. Bob Marley. Yeah, or like a weather reports, whatever. You know, you get home and you, you listen to it and it's then you have this realisation, oh, this is like a, something that they released after they broke up or they died or whatever. Mm, yeah, yeah. And um, 
this isn't a complaint against the Prince estate so much. It's just that whole kind of category. Like I wish they would release them under something like the Prince estate or something like that rather than Prince, you know, piano and microphone. Look at Elvis. Elvis has an entire label oh. called Follow That Dream, which only yeah. release, you know, after he died, they release live recordings. Yeah. And it's a totally separate label. Everyone knows what it is. They're not like official yeah. Elvis albums. They're legacy recordings. And everyone knows yeah. that. This is what we need. But I, you know, just imagine, I imagine someone flipping through the CDs, not that anyone flips through CDs anymore, I guess, but someone flipping through the CDs and sees this album and and doesn't know when they see it, oh, this was actually released like, you know, like a posthumous release. It's not something that we know that this was around in the 80s kind of thing. Well, it says on the front 1983, if you were looking at it, you think, oh, this might have come out in 1983. Yeah. You know, like that's what their initial thought might be. I don't know. It's just a minor thing. It's not a big point. But I get what you mean. But I just saw, I saw that symbol and something kind of irked me like, yeah. It's probably more of a nostalgia, don't mess with the with Prince kind of thing. Like just saw seeing that and going, you know, Prince fought so hard to have that symbol in his name to him to be under control. And it's like, ah, that's what it is. Yeah. But again, <laughs> it's it's what they've decided to do. You know, maybe they'll change it at one point. Maybe it'll become the Prince estate. They probably will still use that symbol though, I I, I think, yeah. because it sells and it's identifiable, so identifiable with him. But you know, in addition to the legacy comments that I made, just to round out my final thoughts, I also think that the fact that this is the best sounding version anyone can get anywhere, and that it's actually put together quite lovingly as far as the artwork, and I, I too like that front photo and all this sort of stuff. I don't mind the piano and mic font. I think that hopefully, fingers crossed, there will be more piano and mic releases. And even if it's only the 2016 one, it'll be a nice bookend to have this you know, the 83 version of Piano and Mike and then 2016 Piano and Mike. And then potentially you can slip One Night Alone in there somewhere, maybe. But anyway, I digress. The whole thing about this is that I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I'm certainly not upset or disappointed. I'm not over the moon, like just raring to go, you know, holding it in front of me and just salivating over it. It's just somewhere in the middle. And I think for what it is, it could be a whole lot worse. Sure, it could be a whole lot better. But for me, it comes back down to this. Prince is no longer here and whoever is making these decisions has made this decision and it's out. And it, I don't think it disrespects his craft. Let me put it another way. If they would have released something that was actually, that actually sounded like a really rough draft rehearsal, I would think that maybe could do a disservice to his legacy. But for whatever reason, and maybe it's just down to how good Prince is as a musician and as an artist, because this, even though he was potentially playing it for no one other than himself and his own purposes, this actually sounds darn good. Like even something like Mary Don't You Weep, which is a cover song, but he's performing it like he's performing it in front of an audience, at least to me. And I think that's quite remarkable. When you, when you listen to this through the lens of, wow, and he wasn't even doing this like at a gig, like this was just him on any given day practicing for whatever is preparing for kind of blows my mind and to have it in the best possible sound quality and to be able to stream it anywhere you are at any time i think all of those pluses you know they they certainly take away any of the negative points or, or concerns or anything like that so yeah there you go let me add one more thing i think this release it's just a pure exercise in marketing. It's like all the lines that are out there about it's a unique insight into the, the songwriting process. 
without all that, if they had just put this out without any of that, the reception, I think, would have been so different. I think they've just got this tape, which a lot of people will agree is not the best thing they could have released. The quality is not great. The content's not that great. And they've just spun it as this rare, unearthed thing. Well, it is pretty rare. That's why it's got the tape hiss and all that stuff. And it's just pure marketing. It's just all the lines that they've put out to make it the mysterious Prince thing, which, you know, he did, but don't try and do it now. It's just ridiculous. But I kind of, yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like maybe in a weird way, it's kind of cool because that's exactly what he used to do. And they're continuing that trend. And by the way, I don't think like the comments that you made, I agree with you. That's what they've done. But I don't think it's a terrible thing because it is actually an insight into his songwriting. And it is the best sound quality, even though it's not amazing, it is the best sound quality you're ever going to get for this release probably. So it's like, you know, are they spinning it? Well, yeah, but everyone spins everything these days. I mean, especially these days, more probably more than ever. I mean, you want to talk about spin, man, anytime Drake or Kanye West or some of these guys release an album that is frankly generally pretty mediocre and, you know, people are throwing all sorts of superlatives at it without even hearing it most times. So I think, I don't know. I hear what you're saying. You can can spin it the other way. This is just Prince practicing on his home piano, something he never (laughs) intended to be released. (laughs) And this is why you're not in marketing. And how are Prince fans going to feel about buying it then? (laughs) Oh, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Hilarious. So look, those are my thoughts. Time's running out, guys. Fight amongst yourselves if you want, but I think the fade out's about to start. <laughs> it's been <laughs> it's been a crazy show, this one. But whatever anyone says, this piece of product is out there in the general public for people to uh, get into if they want. And for those who don't, hopefully there'll be other releases coming up in the future. Just in case, I'll just clarify. Most of my dislike for this release are, it's not the content. I'll just clarify that. The content is okay, but all these things that annoy me are not about the actual content of this release. It's the choice of this release, just in case anyone wasn't clear about that. Okay. (laughs) And done. Okay. Very good. Thank you for uh, listening to the show. It's been another Peach and Black podcast presentation, and we will be back next time with many more colorful comments and insights for whatever is around the corner. It's just around the corner, another Prince release, I'm sure. (laughs) And we're going to talk about it. Damn straight we are. Okay, that was it. (laughs) 